Welcome, wombat folk and trolls, sorcerers and orcs, to Rated RPG, the fantasy role-playing podcast where we toss dice and have fun adventures with our friends. This is the Valley of Green Gold, Episode 8. Before we get to Emery and his new character... Thank you for your kind reviews and ratings of the Rated RPG Podcast. There are a lot of D&D podcasts, and we'd like to think that we're just as entertaining as the best of them, but it's tough to break through and be found by people who don't already know we exist, so we're really grateful for the boost that great reviews and ratings can provide. We got a good review on Apple Podcasts that reads, The creators have such a fun and whimsical sense of humor, and they improvise so well together, they're a delight to listen to whether on the podcast or Twitch. Thank you, Nagoons, for the compliment. We appreciate it. In Episode 7, we met Emery's character 2.0, an automaton, or a construct, built to help people out, to follow orders, to not harm sentient life forms, to protect them, even if he would be hurt in the process. And although 2.0 could defend himself, he could only do it if he wasn't harming other sentient life forms. Kind of following Isaac Asimov's uh, Rules of Robotics. Unfortunately, Gibble Tinkertop was a bit flaky, and he forgot to tell 2.0 about fire being dangerous. So on his very first mission, exploring the workshop while Tinkertop was away, 2.0 caught his own head on fire. And that spoiled a deal that uh, Tinkertop had made with the Flark Mining Collective to make automatons for their mining jobs. Suddenly, Tinkertop was under a lot of pressure. He had to make a new prototype, and that was going to take time and money. So, he hatched a plan. First, in a half-assed effort to remove the burned portions of 2.0's wooden head, Tinkertop did a literal hatchet job. And then, he took 2.0 to Murcroft & Sons Sanitation, where he would sell the cosmetically damaged construct to help out in the sewers. Unfortunately, things went from bad to worse because Mr. Murcroft's son, Billy, was put in control of 2.0, and he didn't like him very much. He forced him into harm's way. After 2.0 was attacked and nearly killed by a rat swarm, Billy started calling him Clubhead, and Clubhead spent the next few months being abused and overworked by Billy Murcroft. One day, Mr. Murcroft brought his younger son, Merle Jr., in to start work. It was obvious that Billy didn't like his little brother, and he saw an opportunity to put Clubhead and Merle in harm's way. He commanded Clubhead to take Merle deep into the sewers and kill some rats. It was a long journey, and on it, it became obvious that Merle was way too young, naive, and kind to face such dangers. But... Clubhead followed his directives and vowed to keep Merle safe while continuing the mission. Suddenly, Clubhead and Merle were ambushed by a couple of gray oozes, and Clubhead was knocked unconscious. In desperation, Merle, a young magic user, cast Firebolt from a spell scroll, igniting the sewer gas which surrounded them all. The oozes, Merle, and Clubhead were killed in the explosion. You know, when that uh, gray ooze slammed its tendril into you and hit you in the chest and knocked you unconscious, the acid, slimy acid, like, went all over your leather armor and ate right through that. Yeah. And then it was starting to eat through the metal plates on your chest. Oh, gosh. And it was because it ate through so much of the metal that was part of your body that that metal just, you know, went away, fell away. 
And as your lifeless corpse lays face down in the sludge channel, it has a little extra buoyancy because it doesn't have so much metal on it. Oh, yeah, yeah, wood floats. Yeah, wood floats. You float up to the top of the sludge channel. Okay. And over the course of the next few hours, when you don't return with Merle, Billy goes down in the sewers, starts looking around, and... They see that, oh, geez, there's been a catastrophe down here in the sewer. Down Tunnel 15 doesn't look good. Look at all the scorch marks. Looks like something bad happened. It's probably, probably Clubhead's fault. Oh. Clubhead killed Merle. Oh. Oh. oh, my gosh. They don't see your body in the sludge channel. They don't really even look. Well, that makes sense. And it rains that night. There's a lot of rain. <sighs> Next few days, a lot of rain. The water levels in the sewers rise a little bit. And your corpse, now becoming bloated, you know, the uh, leather armor kind of fills with the sludge water and gets all up in your innards. Yeah. The flow of water pushes your body down toward the other end of the sewers. Okay. Down to the older end of the sewers. In fact, you float down out out of uh, Tunnel 15, past Tunnel 14, 13, down past Tunnel 10, where you were nearly killed the first time. Yeah. All the way down till you get to Tunnel 2. Now, you don't know this because you're dead. Right. Your body floats into Tunnel 2, and then it comes to rest on a mound of fungus that is growing in Tunnel 2. And when it bumps up against the fungus, spores burst into the air all around all around your corpse. And the spores come drifting down like a cloud. They drift down and land and settle all over you. Is it like that bioluminescent fungus I, I found on my first day? It is a different kind of fungus, not bioluminescent. Well, uh, there's not really much I can do about it because as you've mentioned repeatedly, I'm dead. Dead, totally dead. And what happens (laughs) is the fungus spores settle into the nooks and crannies of your rotting armor and rotting body, and they form mycelium, which is like a white webby net, sort of like a white hazy, frothy net sort of thing covers your entire body. Yeah. And over the course of a few days, the mycelium start to work their way in deeper into the wood, embedding themselves into the wood. And then eventually, after another week or so, being in this environment, the fungus fruits, and it it forms mushrooms. Oh, gross. Yeah. But beautiful. Yeah, and some of the mushrooms are kind of big. They're kind of like oyster mushrooms. They kind of have like a shelfy kind of appearance to them. They kind of stick out from the sides. Oh, yeah. Actually, like that part of your head that's missing. Yeah. Some of those mushrooms grow there, and they're like really wide, so they kind of like make up the other half of your... Oh, I've always wanted that kind of haircut in real life, so this, this is pretty cool. Yeah, it's really neat. I mean, you're stylish, but you're, you're still dead. Until one moment when... Your eyes flicker to life. <gasps> we look around. You are a fungus. Yes, you are they. You you are them, the fungus. What? You have embedded yourself into this wood thing. This thing that has arms and legs. And you can move its arms and its legs and its head. You can stand up. We stand up. Yes, you, and... you have taken control of this thing. Oh. We, uh, we move around. When you walk, mm-hmm. you're herky-jerky like a marionette puppet. Oh, the, the limbs are all warped, but we'll make do. 
We are... Clubhead? Yes, that seems about right. Clubhead, that, that is your name. We... Hate... Rats. Oh boy, do ya. <laughs> we... Hate... Billy. Oh yeah. Probably not the only one. <laughs> we look around uh, in this room and, and, uh, and look at the rest of the fungus. We recognize more of ourselves. This whole room is filled with us. Yes. You are a colony in this room. And now you are also this mobile unit bipedal with two hands fully functional and you can speak wow this okay this is like a, a new frontier for us this is this is amazing very cool well the first thing that we would want to do i th i think is uh we would want to figure out what we're lacking what what we need do we need protection do we need food well uh, as it would happen you're able to reach your hands down into the fungal bed and communicate with yourselves. <gasps> it's sort of like, you know, communicating with other parts of your colony. And you find that the conditions here are literally perfect. You have ample moisture. There's plenty of food. It's the perfect temperature. It's the perfect humidity. Ah. And nobody's coming in here to mess with you. Ah. It's perfect in here. Wow. We just want to live in here forever. Well, that's good news because you do. <laughs> <laughs> Over the course of the next 40 years. 40 years? 40 years. Uh-huh. You just exist. You just hang out wow. in your space. This is your world. Wow. You're realizing that something miraculous is happening to you. When you died, you were a living construct. And some of that magic that created you lingered deep within you. So the, the magic that was used to animate me initially and that stored all of my memories and my protocols, etc. Uh, when I died, was there was still a little bit of that left. And then this uh, fungus, when it sort of grew into me, sort of got like suffused with this same magic and sort of merged into, into my, my previous self. And now you are a fungal construct. And not only that, you can tap into nature's magic. You are a druid. That's pretty dope. Yeah. All right. Well, th this has been a cool 40 years. Just chilling. Yeah. I mean, you haven't done much. You've just kind of sat there most of the time, but nobody has come in to bother you or anything in the whole 40 years you've been down there. Okay. Well, I probably would have maybe written like a book or two, I, I would think. Uh, oh, except there's probably no paper down here and you can't really write on flushable wipes. Every time you find a piece of parchment that is intact, the fungus consumes the paper because it's good, it's tasty. Yeah, yeah. And uh, and I, I don't, uh, in all this time, I don't develop any sort of like other desires. Like I feel like my, my, my needs are all met. Yeah, as long as the colony is thriving, it's totes okay. Yeah, don't want to rock the boat. Jeez, this is like what I've always wanted life to be like in real life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you just lay there and then people will bring you like buckets of chicken uh, <laughs> on a rope through your window or something. And occasionally a fried chicken walks in and I have to slap it yep. until it dies and then eat it. Exactly. Yeah. 
One thing that happens by at one point after a heavy rain or something kind of floods the sewers, uh, sometimes interesting things get flushed in and flushed past you in the room. But a small chest arrives one day. Okay. And uh, it's it bears sort of um, a royal or noble symbol on it. Oh. Who would flush that down the toilet? Maybe accidentally found its way down in the sewers. Huh. Well, I, I, I wake up enough uh, to open it up, see what's okay. inside. You look at the little sigil that's on it, and there's a C and an F. C-F. Uh, you're not sure what that means. Uh, perhaps it's somebody's initials. The whole chest itself is, is wet and filthy from being in the sewer, and the little latch is corroded and rusted. It maybe has been down here for a little bit. Ooh! We are going to consult the table of potentially decent random stuff, which you can find on our website, ratedrpgpodcast.com. I want you to roll a D100, Emery. I got an 85. An 85. Let's see what you get here. You open up this little rotty chest, and inside of it... Inside this unlocked chest is a lock, a standard-looking padlock that comes with a key attached to it with a small cord. Huh. It looks like a really well-built lock. That's cool. That could potentially be useful. (laughs) So I will take the lock and I will shove it deep, deep, deep into my moldy leather vest. That lock, that gift is a gift from Lord Deputy Chris Fail. He must have dropped his chest in the sewer or something. Maybe it fell off the back of a wagon, but you've got it now. Thank you, Lord Deputy Chris Fail. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, my God. You feel the ground around you shaking. What? There's some debris falling from the ceiling. A big chunk of stone is just squashed. What? Part of the colony. Th- th- that's not good. Uh, I I need to protect. I must protect. I I use my body to shield the colony as much as I can. Chunks of stone fall down from the ceiling. Now you have toughened yourself up. You found a piece of wood, driftwood, floating in the water one day, and you fashioned it into a shield. So you have a shield now, finally, and your, your armor has been bolstered, not with bits of metal, but with sort of a natural fungal leather that has formed over your your vital organs. So what is your armor class now? 17. All right. So these rocks tumble from the ceiling, big ones, maybe 100 pounds each, and they slam into you. Thankfully, your shield blocks most of the damage. You do take two points of bludgeoning damage as one of these rocks hits you pretty solidly. We are slightly injured, but we are still fine. And did we succeed at protecting the colony? Kind of, but you can't be everywhere at once as as this fungal construct who can move around. You can't protect the whole colony. And the walls continue to shake and the ceiling of the tunnel continues to shake. It starts uh, to collapse. We 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 don't know what to do. We uh we we reach out and touch the colony. Uh we we need to know what what to do. The colony says, we must go. We must find a place to be. We can't leave you. Not again. We are you. With that, uh, Clubhead takes their hand off of the fungus and uh, with the shield sort of uh, covers their head and begins to run out of Tunnel 2. As you run out of Tunnel 2, 
the entire tunnel collapses behind you, crushing what's left of the colony. No! You're standing in the main sewer tunnel. Tunnel 2 now collapsed behind you. Oh, we look around. This place is so familiar. We think of Merle again. We don't know what happened to Merle. Memory is very, very distant now. But this place reminds us of him. Yeah. So we begin to wander. You wander along the main tunnel, and you remember there is an exit, a way to get up into that building. The building where Billy is. Right. We, uh, go that way. We check to see if we still have our stick. Your stick has long ago rotted into nothing. We look around for a new stick. (laughs) Well, it's not hard to find a new stick down in the sewers. As it happens, there is one right there in the sludge channel. We pick up the new stick. A marvelous find. A stick similar to your old stick. Similar, but we think we can make this one better. We tap into our magical abilities, the strength that we found in nature. And uh, spores begin to pour from within me out through my fingertips until the stick is covered in mushrooms. We are casting Shillelagh. Oh, yeah. (laughs) You successfully cast Shillelagh on your sewer stick, and now it is imbued with your mushroomy powers. Yes. Uh, Emboldened, uh, we... uh, We go towards the tunnel that leads to the building where Billy is. You walk herky-jerky-like all the way down the tunnel. You can see that in the 40 years you've been down here, there have been some expansions. Uh, You don't know how far the tunnel in front of you extends, but you can tell that there's all sorts of new improvements and new tunnels and pipes sticking down and throughout the sewer area there. Some of those old numbers that are on the tops of the sewer tunnels have been etched off completely. It was Billy's fault, probably. We wouldn't be surprised if it was Billy who caused our tunnel to collapse. We pause for a moment. There's a memory. We aren't supposed to harm living creatures. Hmm. Doesn't seem to really make any sense to you now. No, it doesn't. We move on. You come to the tunnel that leads up at a slight incline. Ah, that is the one that leads to that that locker room. We move up. And you come to the door that used to be open, but now it's closed. We open the door, or try to. It's locked. There might be a chain holding it shut on the other side. Was there any other obvious uh, exits, perhaps new ones that we missed? No, not in your memories. We uh, have an obstacle. We should break it down. Clubhead lifts the shillelagh fungal staff above their head and brings it smashing down upon the door. All right, roll your attack and damage. All right, so that is an eight to hit for 11 damage. The wood splinters around the edge of the door. It buckles. But yes, there is a chain holding it on the other side. You're not quite able to break through it yet. We will try again. We bring the shillelagh down again for a 24 to hit for 10 bludgeoning damage. The wood shatters and splinters with a mighty crack, and the chain falls limp to the ground with a clatter. 
You have opened this door, and as you look in front of you, this locker room is way different than you remember it. The lockers and the cabinets and the crates and the counters and the desks and all the equipment and stuff that is in here is gone. The room is almost empty, except for maybe a few hundred barrels and wooden boxes. Strange. A lot has changed in 40 years. But where's Billy? We look through one of the barrels and one of the boxes to see what's inside. So the barrels and the crates all bear the same markings. Flark Mining Collective are the three words that appear on all of these things. So I'm in some sort of, like, storage room? Yeah, like a warehouse. We're not interested in the contents of these barrels and boxes. We are looking for who's responsible for destroying our home. So we are going to continue looking through this warehouse till we find someone. Well, you continue walking through the warehouse, and you remember there's a hallway that leads to the front area of this building. Well, uh, let's go to that hallway then. At the very end of the hallway, there's a door, a bigger door, and it is closed. We try to open it. It is locked. This works for the other door. <laughs> we shillelagh up the staff and we bash it down. All right. We live a simple life, mostly bashing things. <laughs> this door is a little easier to bash open than the other one, and with a mighty crash, the door bursts off of its hinges and falls flat on the floor. And you're standing in front of what appears to be a small apartment, a one-room apartment. And there's a bed in front of you against the wall underneath a window, and there's somebody in the bed, and they've just sat up. And as you search your memory banks, as you see this person, you're like, ah, that looks like Mr. Murcroft, like an old, an old man. Mm. Oh, he's just much, much older now. Well, before he can get up and do anything, uh, I walk over to him in the bed and tower kind of over him as he's laying down. Yeah. Uh, and I say, who has destroyed my home? A ghost. Uh, uh, you you died in that tunnel with me, brother. 2.0 died, but we are alive. We are Clubhead. Who destroyed our home? I, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I don't know. I just leased this place out to the flock people. Flock mining conglomerate. Right, collective, but yeah, close enough. <laughs> I mean, I mean, uh, right, flock mining collective. R right. They collapsed our tunnel. I, I don't know. They killed us. Clubhead is running out of patience. Clubhead lifts the shillelagh above their head. Yeah. And considers bringing it down upon this poor old man. Does Clubhead feel that same sort of resistance? No. None. No? None at all. None at all. <laughs> uh, he's very close to pummeling this man, but the sense of wrongness of it lingers. It's not really a, you can't do it, but more like, you probably shouldn't do it. Yeah. So he puts the stick down and says, Where is the mining collective? They need to apologize. Uh, go go out my front door and uh, take a right. Uh, go all the way down the street. Be gone with your evil spirit. All right. <laughs> Clement turns around and walks out the door. 
having just barely not committed first degree murder. Do you bash the door down or do you open it? (laughs) Open it. Okay. All right. (laughs) You open his door and he just stays in his bed, cowering, grabbing the sheets and pulling them up to his chin. He is terrified. He probably made a little oopsie in his pants, too. (laughs) Clubhead walks out into the street and looks around. You look up the street. Give me a survival check. We got an 18. All right. It is nighttime. You do see a couple of town guards hanging around uh, up the street about half half a block. They don't see you yet, but further up the street, you see a building that has just been demolished up there. We begin to walk towards that demolished building. All right, do you try to sneak at all in the shadows, trying to avoid detection by these guards? Mmm, guards. We've survived for a very long time down in the sewers by avoiding being seen, so it makes sense that we would want to do that here, too. So we're going to do a stealth check. All right. 21. Moving herky-jerky-like into the shadows, you're able to conceal yourself enough that you're able to pass by where the guards are. They're across the street, but they don't see you as you continue up the street, arriving in front of the building that has just been demolished or maybe just collapsed. Well, we look around to see if there's any signs of life, any workers. There aren't any workers here right now, no. Do we see any signs, any sort of like, or or tape, you know, like do not cross or anything like that? As you slowly approach the pile of rubble where this building once stood, you see some signs have been erected all around the collapsed structure. They read in big red letters, condemned. As you stand in the shadows, looking at this pile of rubble where a building once stood, you see a weathered broken sign in the debris. It reads... Thule Industries, Gibble Tinkertop, Proprietor. Clubhead stares at the sign, trying to remember the name. It's so familiar, but it's been so long. You reach deep in what remains of your memories as 2.0, and you remember attaining consciousness. You remember Gibble Tinkertop. You remember that he gave you your first quest, and you remember that you burned yourself up. We remember. That was because of Tinkertop's ineptitude. He was our family. But he abandoned us and sold us. And you remember, that was the day that Gibble Tinkertop led you out the front door of this building. You wanted strawberry ice cream. And you asked him, are we going to go have strawberry ice cream? And he said, yes, you remember that. And he never got us that strawberry ice cream. Well, we don't even want any strawberry ice cream. We don't like it anymore. All of a sudden, you hear the sound of a bottle shatter in the street. You see two drunkards walking down the street arm in arm, and they're warbling some folk song. Looking for you, girl in the wood. Looking for you, and you're looking so good. Annoyed by the loud sounds, because... Honestly, for the last 40 years, we've just been pretty much sitting in silence with nothing but the slowly moving sounds of sludge to sort of keep us company. Um, So we walk towards these beggars, and uh, as soon as we get close with our lanky, kind of gross, weird movements, uh, we say, Hey, you! They turn around in horror, looking at your visage. Uh, Don't hurt us, monster. Where's the guy who lived there? 
I point towards the rubble. Fool Industries! He turns to his friend and he says, That's one of them fool monsters what gone crazy. We ain't crazy. We just a little upset, is all. The other drunkard drops his bottle as a beer spurts out the top of the bottle and sprays all over you, and they both take off running. What do you do? I chase after them. You kick the bottle as you run past the uh, mess there in the street, and you continue on. You're running right toward where those town guards were. Uh-oh. Oh, boy. We stop chasing them. Do we remember from back in the day any sort of programming about these guards? You remember that they keep the peace. If there is a disturbance, they will handle it, uh, sometimes through violence. And they lock people up in prison. Well, we haven't really done much wrong. We'll continue. Maybe they know. Maybe they know what happened to Tinker Top. They might. They might. So you continue chasing these two drunkards down the street. Uh, They are stumbling and bumbling into the walls. They come upon the two guards. Help us, please. There's a monster chasing after us. The guards turn to them initially sort of uh, dismissive. Like, oh, you drunk idiots. You don't know what a monster. And then they look up the street and see your lanky frame stepping and herking and jerking down the road like some kind of scarecrow. (laughs) Give me an intimidation check. I know you're not trying to intimidate them. I want to just see what that's going to look like to them. All right. Should I have advantage on this or something? I think so. Okay. Advantage. A 19... (laughs) Even the guards are like, it's one of them fool monsters, run! Yeah. And they take off, all four of them. Two of the drunkards continue down the street straight, and the two guards take off down an alley. (laughs) And you're all alone in the street. Oh, these stupid humans, they're not any help at all. Give me a perception check. 14. As you look around, you do see a few uh, lights lanterns come on in windows on the streets as you've just yelled stupid humans and (laughs) there was some screaming. So you are aware that people are going to start looking out into the street really soon if they haven't already. All right. Well, our our natural instincts to hide in the dark so as to not be disturbed sort of kick in and uh, we go into an alleyway try to hide. You go into the nearest alley. You see some posters up on the stone wall in the alley. This is a fairly well-used alley, just connecting two, uh, two of the major streets in the downtown area. So it's not really an alley as much as it's a, a walking path. But there are some posters up on the stone walls. And the posters look relatively new and fresh, and they have wording on them in common that reads, All workers of Able Body are to come to the docks in Baxter. We have work for you. We continue reading the poster. Is there any more information? It says that ships are arriving from Crow Island daily and need to be unloaded. Earn an honest day's wage for an honest day's work. We remember way back in the day, we used to work. We used to work hard. And it gave us purpose. And it exposed us to new things. You never earned an honest day's wage for it, though. That's a new thing. Correct. <laughs> hmm. Crow Island, does that ring any sort of bells to me? No, you don't have any files about that. Well, I know what an island is, right? Yeah. You don't really have any 
where else to go? We can't go back to our home. It's been destroyed. We can't go to our old father because we don't know where he is. But we do know where work is, and it's at the docks. So we just head there. It's not hard to find the docks because there are occasional signposts on the main thoroughfares point you in the direction of the docks and you can smell the sea air. So as you work your way down to the docks, while most of the city of Baxter that you've been exposed to is sleeping because it's the middle of the night, you know that there is something happening at the docks because you can hear people talking and yelling and shouting and things moving around. There is light down on the docks. There are magical light orbs hanging over the uh, over the shipyard where the ships are coming in so that they can be unloaded all hours of the night with, with decent lighting. Are there a lot of people around? There are dozens, maybe hundreds of people unloading half a dozen ships or more. Uh, well, that's, that's a lot of people to talk to. But as we start to head towards them, we remember. We remember the last time we were around a lot of people like this. It's when we were in the locker room. Yeah. There were all those workers, the sanitary workers, and they were all very, very mean. They were. They are horrible to you. And we can tell that we actually look significantly worse now. As Clubhead looks down at his body, there's uh, all sorts of mushrooms, shelves poking out of it. There's the mycelium wisps coming out of their head, yeah. uh, almost like ghostly hair. <laughs> and the beggars on the street called Clubhead a monster. Yeah. We begin to question the efficacy of walking into a big old group of people. As you're thinking about this, you're standing in some shadows. You're very well concealed. Uh, you see a, three, a group of three young men walking down toward the docks. These young men appear to be heading to work, and one of them says, oh, there's six ships down here. It's two more than yesterday. And then another one says, yeah, well, you know, the way things are growing on Crow Island these days, well, we're going to have a lot more ships than that coming before too long. Now that they killed that dragon turtle, there's no stopping them. Did they say things are growing on Crow Island? They sure did. We remember the last thing that our colony said to us before they were destroyed and we had to leave them. They said they wanted us to spread right? Yeah, to go and take them with you and grow. To grow. Perhaps they should have named it Grow Island. <laughs> Inspiration. Inspiration. Oh, we're doing that? We're doing... Oh, yeah. yeah we are now. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, great. So Clubhead has an idea. They're going to smuggle themselves onto one of these ships. As you're considering how you're going to do that, a different thought pops into your head, a more pressing matter. You see, over the last 40 years, you've had a pretty leisurely life as part of a fungal colony in the sewer. All your needs were met, including a never-ending buffet of garbage and vermin delivered within arm's reach. But it's been a while since you've eaten, and suddenly you can't think of anything else. Uh, is there any, I don't know, stray cats around? <laughs> Give me a perception check. <laughs> hey, that's a 15. Uh, you find a stray cat not too far from your current location. Okay. Actually, you don't know if it's a stray cat. It's kind of sitting on a, a porch on the back of a building. Okay, well, it's a cat. Uh, we're we're going to sneak up to it. 18 on the stealth check. The cat continues cleaning itself, does not notice you. And with a bonus action, we shillelagh our staff and... 
and with an action attack. Uh, 12 to hit. That hits. And your damage? Ooh, only four. Only four points of damage. This cat was a little uh, mangy. Might have had something going on. A little feline leukemia or something. <laughs> four <laughs> points of damage is more than enough for Clubhead to quickly, mercifully dispatch this old, ailing, long-suffering cat. Oh, excellent. Some snacks for the road. <laughs> Clubhead picks up the dead cat and uh, quickly begins to clean it. Okay, so right there on the porch, you perform this task, harvesting nature's bounty. <laughs> what do you do with the meaty bits? Well, is there any sort of like bag uh, on the ground or any sort of like tarp or uh, curtain or anything I could make into a makeshift sort of bag? Well, here's the Ouch. cat's skin. Here's the cat's skin. Okay, well, I make a... I make a makeshift bag out of its own skin. Uh-huh. <laughs> then just uh, start walking towards the ships uh, as stealthily as I can. Do you tie the little makeshift bag on the end of your stick like a hobo's bindle? Uh, you know I do. <laughs> ah, like you can't see it because it's a podcast, but chef's kiss. There you go. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, you're just checking out the Rated RPG podcast of Valley of Green Gold, and you're like, ah, this, this is a bridge too far, and you're like, I gotta go. Well, goodbye, and thank you for giving us a shot. Uh, so you walk down to the docks uh -huh. with your uh, bindle full of cat meat, and as you approach the docks, a creature comes running out of an alley and slams into you. Whoa. The creature falls to the ground on his bottom, his thick, luscious bottom. What is this? Some kind of furry little dog? Ooh, an animal. Gross. And that is the end of episode eight of the Valley of Green Gold. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Jason. That was that was really, really fun. Oh, man. It was a blast, dude. That That is a crazy story. Clubhead has the wildest backstory of any character I've ever played. And to die in the very first episode of oh, yeah. the character's story is pretty, pretty he, good. He basically died twice. Yeah. <laughs> For the very first enemy he came across, across got a critical hit on its first attack and knocked him out. Yeah. And then he got exploded. Oh, Merle. Merle was such a great character. I loved him. And then he he died instantly. Ah, <sighs> Jason, this is going to be fun. A new episode of the Rated RPG podcast comes out every Monday, and it's available anywhere you can get a podcast. If you want to see the character sheets for Wendell the Wombat, Bunny DePayne, Silbeth Orist, and Clubhead, go to RatedRPGPodcast.com and check the blog. They're right there next to our Cult Busters character sheets. Rated RPG is created because we have Patreon supporters and friends like Eli Chafin, Antarctic Pip, and Schmoopy. We raise a glass and toast the health of the gorgeous Phoenix Brigade. Members in good standing include Holly Summers and Shane Loves Games. Happy belated birthday Shane. In our next episode, the party will find a copy of the Merchant Harbor Gazette and we'll learn about the things that GBS Trek, Spidey Mouse, Super Justin 64, and Weary Traveler have done that landed them on the front page of that paper. Thank you to Dukes, Jason, and Turtle and Crow for in-game roles from the table of potentially decent random stuff, and thank you Lord Deputy Chris Fail for his role in this episode. 
A uh, handy lock and key. Could be cursed. We'll have to wait and see. Our bucket of friends is getting full again. Our pal Will Parker was attacked by some rot grubs recently. They're pretty thorough, but they leave behind his pelvis. So into the bucket of friends it goes. To see all of our Patreon tiers and rewards, go to RatedRPGPodcast.com. On behalf of everyone around Ye Old Gaming Table, thank you for enjoying the Rated RPG Podcast.